Welcome to the ASC podcast, Cytopath Pod. Join special guests to highlight ASC activities in cytopathology education, advocacy, and research. everyone. This is Judith Barkan from Loyola University, Chicago. I am the uh, current president of the American Society of Cytopathology, and you are listening to the Cytopath podcast. Um, uh, we would like to welcome you uh, to listen to the podcast, to subscribe to it. Today, we have two wonderful guests uh, with us. And uh, there are no stranger, they are no stranger to the American Society of Cytopathology uh, as they both have been uh, the ASC president at some point. So let me introduce both of them and then we'll get to chat with them a little bit. Uh, Dr. Eva Wojcik is currently the chair of the Department of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine and an endowed professor of pathology at virology at Loyola University, Chicago. Uh, previously, she was the director of cytopathology and uh, as well as the director of the APNCP residency program and cytopathology fellowship programs. Uh, she was the past president of the American Society of Cytopathology in years 2015-16. She has co-led international efforts to standardize the reporting of urinary cytology that culminated in the publication of the Paris System for Reporting Urinary Cytology and authored numerous books um, and articles, book chapters, abstracts. In 2019, she was awarded the, with the highly prestigious honor of the Loyola University Faculty of the Year Award. Our second guest is Dr. Dottie, Dorothy, but Dottie Rosenthal, uh, who is Professor Emeritus uh, from Johns Hopkins University. She started her career at uh, UCLA uh, and then came across the country to Hopkins and has been there uh, for a number of years now. She's well known in the field of uh, cytopathology and has uh, numerous uh, important work in the field of urinary cytopathology. Together with Dr. Wojcik uh, and Dr. Dan Curtis, she has called the International Efforts to Standardize the Reporting System for the Paris System. And uh, she was the uh, past president of the American Society of Cytology uh, in the years 2000 to 2001. Well, welcome Drs. Rosenthal and uh, Dr. Wojcik. Hello. Hello. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to have both of you here. So uh, let's get to meet you a little bit first. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, we've, I've gone over the bio, but there's a lot more to both of you I know personally. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. So let me start. First of all, thank you very much, Dr. Barkan, for inviting me. And this is a great opportunity to talk about lots of very important and very close uh, things to my heart, particularly urine cytology. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, let me tell you something about myself. Um, by now, everyone noticed that I have this kind of funny accent. So I'm originally from Poland. That's why I finished my medical school. Uh, but right now, I'm the real, real Chicagoans living here for 
uh, practically almost 20 years. Um, so what do I do for fun besides uh, looking at the urine cytology? Uh, I am a gardener, so depends on the weather. When the weather is nice, I'm digging in my garden. Uh, uh, and when the weather is not that nice, I'm hiding in my basement and try, trying to paint. So this is more or less what I'm doing. And of course, besides the fact that I still have family kind of, uh, of three boys, including my husband. Uh, so, so we are all quite happy, you know, being in Chicago, living here. And, and no, no, I don't want to say that they're digging gardens with me. They don't do this. However, I go fishing with them. So it's all good. And again, Ooh, thank you. Wonderful. Look at those, all those activities. Amazing. <laughs> Dr. Rizenthal, how about yourself? Oh, I am from all over, but not as all over as Ava. <laughs> I started out on the East Coast in New Jersey, actually. Went to the University of Kansas. We won't bother telling you how I got there um, for my undergraduate. And I actually went there for medical school. And during those eight years, I really discovered cytopathology. I was going to go on to become a child psychiatrist, if you can believe that. I can't. But that was the goal. However, I got sidetracked when I was a medical student by taking a post-sophomore fellowship in pathology. And one of our faculty had really just discovered cytopathology for himself. And he just found me an avid student. And that was the beginning of the love affair that I have had basically all my career. I discovered when I got into my residency training in pathology that there was just too much to learn. My brain could not handle everything that was being fed into it. And in those days, we really didn't have a good um, retrieval system. I mean, figure this out, this was in the 60s. And so I decided I better subspecialize if I was gonna survive. And I still had this great love affair with cells and every place I went, there was a great opportunity because it was a very small specialty in those days, very few practitioners. And so every place I went, they needed a cytopathologist. And so being somebody who has more guts than brains, I just decided this was gonna be my, my life's work. And it's been wonderful. In fact, I was talking to my number two grandchild. I have eight grandchildren. I was just on the phone to her last night. We we're talking about careers. And I said, well, you know, I've been in this field for over 50 years and there isn't one day when I have not gotten up in the morning and said, I can't wait to go to work. And she said, this is 13 and she said, wow. And I said, yeah, wow is right. How many people can say that? Now I won't tell you that I loved every day dealing with some of the people that were there, but dealing with the cells has been fabulous. So besides cells, I do gardening just like Eva does. I mean, that's the greatest therapy in the world to go and dig in the dirt and then see the fruits, literally the fruits of your labor and talk to your plants and tell them how beautiful they are and how good they make you feel. And then you have eight grandchildren that I have and that's wonderful. I mean, talk about your legacy, that's fabulous. So that's basically who I am. One of these days I'll get back to the piano you won't get into that story, but um, I'm an amateur musician, love music, 
almost, wow. you know, well, it goes along with my gardening. It's just good for the soul. <laughs> How about that? I had no idea. So it's not only urine, but also gardening that puts you two together. That yeah. is amazing. <laughs> amazing. Okay. Well, before we go into the special issue of the um, JASC, Uh, let's ask Dr. Wojcik, um, how did JASC come into being? It's a relatively young journal that debuted in 2015. Tell us the story. Well, goodies, how much time do we have? <laughs> as much as you want. <laughs> uh, well, I think I'm gonna, I was thinking about this, what I'm going to say, and, and I kind of try to remember what really has happened those few years back. And I think the very first kind of idea about creating a new journal for uh, our society, first of all, this is not a new idea because uh, I know that for years, Dr. Kaus was trying, entertaining this possibility and somehow that never came to the fruition. Uh, but I remember my very, very first board meeting uh, when you were just elected and invited to your first meeting, but you don't have a voice. You should just be there and listen. And I was listening and there was this extensive discussion about us having uh, a problems and based on the kind of financial background with, that, with the publisher of that time official journal of our society. Uh, uh, which is Cancer Cytopathology, an excellent journal. There is no question about this. Uh, unfortunately, the publisher uh, was in kind of insisting uh, that we should contribute a little bit more. Uh, and so my, instead of keeping my map, you know, not to say much, I just say, why don't we create our own new journal? And that was like, What are you talking about? <laughs> We won't say what all of us were thinking. It was your brainchild. How about that? But, so, so when I officially became a member of the board, my very first assignment by that time, the president of the society, Dr. Nancy Young, she told me that let's evaluate the situation of the journal and let's see what would be the best solution for our society? Uh, and uh, the, so I'm supposed to work with uh, Ed Stibes and we asked for the proposal of the main publishing houses, uh, what would take to create potentially a new journal. We create, we review our current uh, responsibility and our contracts with the which at that time, our current journals, we had four, four, I think, proposals. We put everything in this big, big spreadsheet, Excel type of table, uh, what each and every publisher was proposing. We interviewed at least a couple of them, both uh, me and uh, Ed. And it was a time to present this at the board. Um, yes, uh, so <laughs> I went, I bet that was challenging, huh? I went through all of them. So, you know, and that was very, you know, the, and this is the most important statement. Uh, the only reason we were doing this, it was purely financial reason. That's it. Uh, 
what the, the main issue was that we had to pay significant amount of money for publishing uh, our abstracts before the meeting, as well as for we were paying significant amount of money to publish bulletins. So based on pure financial analysis, it came out that the best solution uh, would be to create uh, our own journal. And it went for a vote. And I, well, I was on that board for quite a while. And I have to say that that was the most interesting meeting. <laughs> uh, and the vote came exactly 50-50. You can say that, you know, half of the board was definitely very much against. And another half was, pro, you know, supporting this. And the, the, you know, it's like these days, Kamala, uh, <laughs> right now, we have in our government, that time it was Nancy, Nancy Young as a president, according to our bylaws, had the deciding vote. And that's how it started. And it was, I have to say, was very brave, uh, very bumpy, uh, and the most, and, you know, we were able to secure an excellent editor-in-chief, uh, Dr. Syed Ali, uh, who worked very, very hard to start and, you know, to create this journal, to get the, the valuable and good papers. And now in hands of Dina Modi, it's the journal's really thriving. And I think, you know, that's, that's you know, how it started. Tough and kind of, you know, very tough beginning, but at this moment we have something what Dr. Koss always wanted. Uh, <laughs> that is amazing. Bumpy start, but very successful end. All's well when ends well. And it's in very good hands, as you said right now with Dr. Woody. Wow, uh, that's, that's a very nice story. And it's good to know that you were the one who initiated it. Very nice. Um, so let me ask Dr. Rosenthal on the other side. How did Paris come into being? And you know where I'm going to go with this, with the special oh. issue eventually. Tell us a bit about the story. How did you two decide to come up with the Paris system? It was very fortuitous. Um, I, for one, have had very important um, interchanges with urologists over the years. When I got to UCLA, uh, there was a urologic surgeon who really for some reason, somehow believed in cytology. Apparently, even though there were very few people at UCLA who would even consider cytology as any kind of a, a specialty, he had had some experience with it. And then he came to me, very young and inexperienced as I was, and he said, we're going to do cytology. I said, then you're gonna to have to teach me about bladder cancer. And he said, okay, it's a deal. And he worked with me. He would go in to a bladder and he would always be sure to get a cytology specimen off the tumor for me. And he would bring it to my office. He was amazing. He actually, to make the story a little shorter, um, he created the ileal loop um, and the uh, continent bladder so that uh, the people uh, didn't wind up with a bag. They, um, you know, they were actually uh, in, in 
good emotional condition after all. So he was a terrific teacher. And I got really to the point where I loved to see these specimens. Most of them were washings. As you all know, Loyola, that's the best way to go. Um, and then, of course, working with Leo Koss, who was just su such a uh, pioneer in urolo urologic cytology, I should say, that, um, I, you know, to me, it was like breathing. So when I got connected with uh, Springer and their Essentials of Cytology or Essentials in Cytology, that whole series of books, um, I thought, well, I'm going to open this series with urine. I got a co-author, both of us who thought we could really diagnose low-grade papillary lesions by cytology. <laughs> Two of us in the whole world could do it, right? Wow. Superwoman, <laughs> Wonder Woman. Young and stupid, and I thought I could. So book comes out, and one of my, in fact, my first fellow at UCLA, who was in the faculty for a little bit, and he and I had become good friends and stayed close friends, even though he moved away. And he called me up one day and he said, you don't know what the bleep you're doing because he read the book. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you don't know how to diagnose these, admit it. He said, all we can really do is high grades. And that started me thinking a little bit. And I was at this point at Hopkins. Um, and so we took a look at our cases. Uh, make a long story short, Chris Bush and I went through 600 cases, slide after slide, and cataloged them. It's the biggest stack of cases I've ever seen it outside of Bethesda, the Bethesda system. And so we took a look at our experience and what our hit rate was. And then I had to call Bill back and I said, you know, you're right. We can't do the low grades. We can only do the high grades. So at that point then we're on our way to uh, the IAC in Paris. And there were two panels there, both related to cytology of the urinary tract. And in order to keep us from being redundant as two panels, we were emailing back and forth. And it was, we had aha moments every other week. And so by the time we got to Paris, we did our panels and Ava and I said, we have to have a meeting. And so our administrative assistant for the IAC found us a conference room, brought in a pot of coffee, we all got together and by the end of what, what did it take us, two hours? We had chapters assigned, chapter leads assigned, figured out how we were gonna catalog, you know, capture the photographs and put them all together in one repository so we could all use them. And of course we're from all over the world in that room. So we knew that we would have to work long distance electronically and damn it, we did. <laughs> Rest is history. That's right, well, well, Dr. Wojcik, yes. Well, history, but we have to document this history. So that was exactly how it was going on, what was going on even before Paris, because, you know, uh, we had to get those, uh, you know, spe speakers for those, uh, for those panels. And, and of course, 
I remember I was talking to Sayed Ali and I just like, you know, I maybe you and he said, well, because I was, I think that you were kind of already on getting, I don't know how active you were still there and not to mention, I didn't know Dottie that much. She was this big, big, big cytopathologist. I wouldn't dare to just kind of Scary. send her an email. How oh, intimidating. Oh my God. No, but in a very positive way. And, you know, so Syed just told me what called Dottie. And, I, and that's when we start talking. And and this was this really amazing. And frankly speaking, the emails start uh, flying between all of us because Eric Piaton from France, when he saw that Doty is on the panel, he requested to talk to Doty because at the same time, you know, Doty didn't say that, you know, at that time, uh, that whole big work she described uh, working with with uh, Chris Vanderbush, all that has been published already uh, as a, you know, uh, and proposed, uh, you know, the Hopkins classification. The same time Eric Piaton was doing the same work. And frankly speaking, we were all doing practically the same work that's independently. Right. And that was, that's where we decided, okay, let's get together in Paris. Yeah. But after Paris, I have, this is a kind of good story because after Paris, I came home and I just sitting in my desk and I'm just, okay, great. But what's next? <laughs> what to do next? You know, like it's all a great decision, but we have how to pull this out. So I call our great friend and very experienced in this business, Dr. Ritu Nair. Uh, and we met for lunch in, and, and she just finished her sec work on the second edition of Bethesda. So she said, from now, so now you have to contact ASC, ISC for a sponsorship, get this, you know, all, on the web, ask what is all those irrelevant questions, do some kind of survey and on and on and on. And I was, I still remember writing notes on the, classic, you know, napkin, <laughs> what to do. And, and that's really kind of started that really this tradition, we follow the, truly the footsteps of Bethesda, what they have done and how successful it was. And we insisted, insisted that um, the format of the book has to be exactly the same like Bethesda for cervical cytology and for thyroid cytology because they have been already accepted by the world. So that's gonna be very important for us to in a way follow. And don't you, re you remember when we discussed about the, how we gonna name it? And, and that was the story. <laughs> well, you know, I was like, well, Bethesda for urine. And Dottie, why Bethesda? I mean, why Bethesda? Nothing to do with Bethesda. So. Yeah, we're sitting in Paris, for heaven's sakes. And, you know, first of all, if you think about it, Bethesda was government-sponsored. That's right. We put in a Paris grant for that. Mm -hmm. All right. And they, the United States government coughed up the money. And... I knew just from past experience and bladder cancer, 
we won't go into the economics of bladder cancer, except to say that it is the most expensive per person cancer ever. Because the good news is they live a long time. The bad news is they live a long time. And so Medicare has to pay for all of these older men. There are women who get it too. So I knew that if we sat around and waited for the U.S. government to support us, it would never happen. So this was what was so amazing. Everybody said, we'll do it. We can do it from our own offices, from our, with our own personnel. And it's been a, a grassroots project from the beginning. Right. Very strong work, both of you. And I must say, Paris is a much sexier name than Bethesda. Oh, of course it is. You know, no offense to the Bethesda folks who may be listening to this podcast, but. Listen, if you've been to Bethesda, you know that Paris is a lot sexier than Bethesda. <laughs> I have, I know. <laughs> All right. So. Do you remember, you know, there was this hesitation between two of us when I said, how about Paris? And uh, like, I remember silence on your side. Yeah, but. And both of us were, oh my God, you know, is that going to fly? Is there anybody's going to buy it? And look at that. Rest this piece of it. Oh, yeah. You are trailblazers, two tra trailblazers in history. Um, so tell us about this um, special edition of uh, JASC that um, you guys, together with Dr. Stefan Pambuchian, uh, edited. Uh, what's new? What's in there? Um, what should be what should the leadership readership uh, see in that? Well, if you've had a relationship, and I use the word advisedly, a relationship with the first edition of the Paris system, uh, if you've used it as we intended, it's a handbook, it's an atlas, and in any kind of a work like that, you ask more questions than you have answers for. And so what we did as we're working along with the Parasystem 1.0, we're now working on 2.0, but on 1.0, the whole time we're trying to call all the literature and all of our experiences, we're doing a lot of arbitrary metrics. The least of which is not is um, the NC ratio. As an example, no studies have really been done, well-constructed studies of what is the cutoff of an NC ratio between an atypical, pardon me, atypical urothelial cell and a high-grade urothelial cell. There's been no studies, prospective studies using daily specimens that can help us. And then, of course, the eye is not a very good measurer of things like NC ratios. And so a lot of this stuff we were pulling out of the air. As we're writing the first edition, we're saying, okay, here's our menu for what we need for the second edition. In the, this special issue of JASC, what we really asked our authors to do was to take a look at these questions and are we to the point where we've got answers to them? Mm -hmm. And so that's really what this, special edition is, aside from being the um, tempting hors d'oeuvre plate for the second edition of Paris, it really is a catalog of questions that we think we've answered or questions that still need answers. Eva, what do you think? 
No, I agree with you 100%. Uh, as much as our goal and uh, of this first edition of urine uh, of Paris system was to, to be based on evidence, uh, some of this we simply couldn't, didn't have those evidence. For instance, how you can uh, evaluate risk of malignancy if of something which didn't exist at, uh, after all, because let's face it, the risk of malignancy in the Paris first edition uh, was based on previous literature. So we knew that the second edition will definitely needs already data based on already on the existing system. And overall, there was a lots of uh, unanswered questions and there are certain areas which uh, life showed that, uh, you know, need some improvements, uh, including uh, different types and variants of high-grade urethral carcinoma. Uh, and there are papers uh, specific uh, for this, of this subject in this new, uh, I mean, in this special edition of JASP. And it's really kind of this whole, I, when I'm thinking about Paris system, it's all this serendipity. Uh, about us kind of getting together, about Paris International Congress, about the fact that all so many groups throughout the world was working at that time, trying to, to figure it out what, how to decrease this rate of atypia. And at the same time, it was, we were getting practically ready uh, for start working for the second edition when Dina approached, Dina Modi, the editor-in-chief approached uh, uh, me and asked, you know, is it time to do this special edition of, for JASC? And that was like the perfect moment because we could, uh, you know, ask people practically all over the world uh, through the social media to contribute to this uh, sp uh, special edition. In addition, uh, we asked our previous contrib contributor of Paris to, you know, to either potentially write papers, which would be the basis for the second edition. And indeed, you know, the, the articles which have been published in the second edition answer numerous of those and answer previously questions. And the most important, which is I think the most significant, truly validated the whole concept of the Paris system. I think that's a very important thing here. So I, that was gonna be my next question. So has the Paris system been successful? And I think, um, yeah, I think I know the answer, but you guys tell me. <laughs> We're not prejudiced at all, are we? Um, Neither am I. <laughs> no, no, well, you know, um, we all had two goals, I think, when mm -hmm. we started working as a group, This wonderful collaborative effort. Um, and I did a little bit of math right before we got on the uh, conference here. We have 67 authors, six, seven authors, mm -hmm. 34 of them from the United States and 33 from other countries. And we've got every continent represented except for Antarctica. So if you know a polar bear that's out of work, uh, we'll take them on. <laughs> um, but our goal was to make life easier, that's first of all, for all of us struggling cytopathologists, and to really share with our colleagues, especially the urologic surgeons, that there is validity in cytology. Because when you add in 
the low grade lesions and the high grade lesions together, you get a pretty miserable predictive value. We all know, and we did before, that high grades, I could teach my 13 year old granddaughter to recognize high grade cells, no problem. Forget the low grades. But if you talk to the urologic surgeons, what they want to know is, is it high grade or not? Because that's going to really dictate the management of the patient. And then on the other hand, the other end of the spectrum, we've got an indeterminate category that is the world's largest wastebasket. We thought ASCUS was bad enough in GYN. Many, many labs have a huge atypical urothelial cell category. And so what we tried to do there, and I think this is one of the real landmark decisions for uh, the Paris system, is to say, okay, we may have some funny looking cells, but we have a reason, we have a history of this patient of why there are funny looking cells here. Patients just had a kidney transplant and this is polyomavirus. The patient has just been treated for bladder cancer with four or six installations of BCG. That's why there are funny looking groups of things that are really granulomas. And so don't bother putting those things in the atypical urothelial cell category. You can just say negative for high grade. So our whole focus was high grade. And in making the negative category, the wastebasket, we've really simplified the decision-making for the urologist. Don't forget that patients now have access to their charts, to all of their test results, too often before the ordering physician gets to them. And certainly before the ordering physician has a chance to talk to the patient. So you send back a result to the patient's chart, my chart or whatever you're calling it. It says, oh, atypical urothelial cells present and the patient is off the ceiling by the time the doctor gets to talk to them on the telephone. Whereas if you say negative, and then we have all our little codicils of what it's, you know, what's in that test, patient doesn't know what polyomavirus is, couldn't care less. And, you know, BCG granuloma, couldn't care less, all they see is negative and they're happy. And the doctor is delighted because he doesn't have to go through 40 minutes of education of this patient. So um, we've really accomplished a huge amount to make our lives as microscopists easier and to really help the patient, which is our end goal. That's, that's the focus of what we're doing, literally focus. And if I may, a little, add a little bit, you know, sure. uh, as I keep repeating over and over again, the Paris system was based on evidence, uh, whatever evidence were available. So now to answer your question, is the Paris, has Paris system been successful? I can answer based on evidence. And the evidence was the survey, which was sent uh, again and uh, to practically to distributed all over the world. And we have the evidence for, and for, the state, for the statement because there were over 500 participants. I don't remember 30 something countries, practically wow. again, all over the world. And uh, eight, over 80% of the, those responders said that they are using Paris system on a daily basis. So Paris, so uh, 
this definitely is the best uh, support uh, of the statement that Paris system has been very, very successful. That's true. Also in the same survey, I think they were saying that the ATPA rate was reduced, reported ATPA rate. So overall, I think totally agree with you that Paris system was very successful. Um, tell us a little bit about the contentious issues of the Paris system. Um, and um, were they covered in JASC, uh, in the JASC special edition? And if not, uh, what is coming our way with the new uh, Paris 2.0? So in the JASC, definitely there were at least a couple of papers mm -hmm. uh, in regards of uh, describing the different variants of high-grade urethral carcinoma, particularly hypochromatic one, mm -hmm. and that which is very, very important, is very important for us to recognize. And that was a very nice paper by Dr. Renshaw uh, and his colleague for kind of describing this as well. Uh, in this uh, special edition, there was also a paper talking about the upper urinary tract, which has not been addressed. And as I said, there was a, uh, papers about cytohistocorrelation, uh, cell blocks, of course, the immunohistochemical and new technology was this kind of a future uh, of new technology as, uh, in regards of urine cytology it is all covered in, uh, in the special edition. And before I'm gonna finish, you know, uh, we have to recognize the contribution of our dear colleague, Dr. Stefan Fambucian, who was one of the co-editors uh, for this and, uh, and worked very hard, you know, to, to uh, ask, uh, uh, solicitate the papers, as well as reviewing these papers and, and making sure that they are ready for the publications. And just in case, if I'm not gonna have an opportunity to say, uh, I keep repeating this over and over again, all over the world, the Paris system would, would not happen without Dottie Rosenthal. Uh, she is the most amazing, amazing editor. Uh, you know, she is, keeping every, all of us uh, to make sure that we are all on track. Uh, she's so organized. When you really think about how we can create this one book with over 60 contributors, everything is just because of Dottie. Uh, and that was, you know, that happened with the first edition. And I, I knew that when we started working on the second edition, there is no such a thing like Paris without Doty. So we are so, so <laughs> grateful. Well, I must tell you, um, thank you, Ava. I, you know, you're my best PR person. But this collaboration, I mean, we talked earlier that I've been in this business for over 50 years, five oh years. And this has been probably the greatest experience I've ever had in this wonderful profession. It's, uh, I'm getting cold chills every time I think about it because um, working with this group of people who are dedicated, and as we said, this is grassroots. This is in their spare time, whatever that is. And um, they've just devoted a tremendous amount of energy and care uh, working together. And now this whole year has been a challenge for everybody. And what I love the best, just digressing a tiny bit, which I do all the time, um, 
remember pathologists were always the laboratory. You know, the, the baseball player that needs his gut opened up and taken out and the surgeon is being interviewed at the five o'clock news and he says, oh, and we sent the specimen to the laboratory. Well, you know, all of us in the lab are doing 40,000 frozen sections on this tumor that this big baseball player has. But we're, you know, down in the basement with no windows in the laboratory. And so this past year, the laboratory has been at the forefront because of all the testing and the vaccination and all the other stuff. So you guys have been running wild and I'm retired. So it's been an opportunity for me to really give back and contribute and say thank you to everybody with whom I've been working because you guys are great. Pleasure. I think you are a wonderful duo and there wouldn't be any Paris without either one of you. <laughs> oh, and finally, we did, my husband and I decided last night that we're all gonna, we're gonna celebrate the second edition in Paris. Oh, that sounds good. Okay. okay. <laughs> Can we come? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm packing for everybody. How about another a special meet, ASC meeting in Paris? Ooh, I love that. Yeah, ready? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Wonderful. Um, okay, so just back to Paris. Um, what would the um, uh, readers expect? What are some new things coming their way? Just a mini little sneak preview. I know Dr. Wojcik alluded to it a little bit um, without giving away too much of the book, uh, what is going to be different in the Paris? I think Ava did a very good summary from the JASC issue, the special issue with JASC, mm -hmm. yes. and pointing to some of the things that we really need to know, such as the ancillary techniques. And if you think about it, the ancillary techniques are dependent upon our knowledge of pathogenesis. Not only do we have to know what the techniques are, the methods of defining what these changes are, but we have to know where to look first. And so you've got a combination of people who know the genetic pathway or we're about, you know, we're getting on the track of knowing the um, pathogenesis of bladder tumors. And you think about there are really two pathways at least. Um, and then you overlay on that all the special techniques and then all the ancillary studies that can apply to these specimens, smears, blocks, whatever you wanna do with them, however you wanna process them and get them on a platform where you can use these special ancillary tests. And so that's really a major highlight. Um, and I think in the last five or six years, greater understanding of what tests are gonna be really useful for us. We're not gonna use a, sh a shotgun approach now. So I, Lucas was a wonderful, wonderful scientist, has been the um, chapter lead for both editions. And now he's, I mean, this new chapter for ancillary techniques is really quite wonderful. And um, the whole issue of atypia, Gulise, you've been the line leader for that one. <laughs> um, and it's a terrifically difficult chapter to, you know, give it give its own place between negative and suspicious um, and trying to, as they say around here, thread the needle, how, you know, how we're going to delineate and keep that category very discreet. These are things I think that um, we have a better 
feeling for after the first edition has had its go for a while, people have gotten used to using it and are, it's getting really a place of its own. And now we can embellish. And at the end of this second edition is gonna be another chapter, a whole list of what we don't know, what we need to work on for the third. Uh, and I just would like to uh, make a comment and uh, and the message for the, our listener, please do not worry. Uh, we're not gonna change everything. Uh, the, our very first uh, kind of uh, goal at the beginning of our work on the second edition was don't uh, reinvent the wheel, don't break, don't don't break something what is, or don't fix something what is not broken. Right. Uh, there were some, the majority as we know, and from the literature and from the survey, majority what is in Paris is working. It just needed some addition updates and addressing very important points, which were, uh, you know, ask on throughout those years when since Paris was introduced, uh, and that will include uh, squamous dysplasia or squamous atypia, which has been very nicely addressed. Uh, the other I was telling about the the variants of high grade. Mm -hmm. uh, they were not only recognized but also described. Uh, there is the whole chapter on upper track has been added uh, and chapters on preparatory techniques and chapter on adequacy have been significantly updated and changed. Uh, so, and also very important uh, is uh, about Paris that each and every chapter will start with kind of a very bulleted kind of out highlights what is different between the TPS 1.0 to 2.0. And also at the end, uh, uh, for those people who are potentially gonna be questioning themselves, should I buy this new book or not? On one of the reason even to buy this book is gonna be the very last chapter on history of uh, urine cytology written so beautifully by Stefan Bambuccian. And as a matter of fact, you know, I don't know if all the listeners are aware, recently uh, we lost this amazing pathologist and this amazing, amazing human being and such an important contributor to the Paris system and Last summer, he has written this amazing, uh, really uh, whole review on urine cytology, truly from the beginning. And this is the most comprehensive uh, review ever, ever written. So if it, forget about all the atypia, forget about all the criteria, forget about all everything, the reason to buy this book would be just to have this chapter and be able to, to read this chapter. And as a matter of fact, the entire second edition of the Paris system is dedicated to the memory of Dr. Pambuccia. And I'm sorry. 
the chapter I mean, the jazz issue is also dedicated to him yeah special edition yeah. this chapter that eve is talking about is how it's the history but it's how urine was used as a diagnostic tool way 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 before anybody knew anything more about the human body from a standpoint of disease because it's the most accessible um, body product. Um, and so this was used way, way back um, before the Egyptians, way before I history beginning. <laughs> and what Stefan did, not only did he track this history, but he found illustrations, artwork, that showed how this urine was measured and utilized in some of these uh, paintings you've seen in museums and didn't realize that this orb that somebody was holding up was really a bottle of piss that was being used um, to diagnose whatever this poor patient had that was sitting in front of this doctor that had this glass bottle of yellow stuff. And so the, the artwork in it is absolutely phenomenal. And then, of course, as Eva said, the writing is glorious. So you're right. I mean, I, I read this work and was just blown away by it. And then we decided that rather than cut it up into, you know, little chapters to put in JASC over time, we were just going to put it into Paris 2 whole, uh, complete, unabridged, uncut, and it's wonderful. That is such a delight. And knowing Dr. Pambuchan and being such an eloquent author, I'm sure this is going to be just one of the highlights of the, uh, the Paris system. So I hear you both saying uh, to our listeners, buy the book, <laughs> the history chapter and everything, <laughs> and also read the Jask special edition. Yes, yes. Right? Okay, any parting words for our uh, listeners? Anything um, I forgot to ask. The only thing what I have been saying over and over again, urine is not that bad. Uh, and right now, as a matter of fact, I think urine is one of the most uh, delightful, I would say, uh, <laughs> the easiest uh, as type of the specimens which we are dealing with. And I think it's just because Paris. Wonderful. Thank you for asking us to do this, Gilles. It's wonderful. And Beth Jenkins, as always, thank you for keeping this ship called the ASC on course. That's right. Thank you both for coming. A this pleasure. has been just such a big pleasure to listen to you guys and you know hear your stories. Um, I'm honored to have you both on this. So thank you both very much. It's our honor. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to CytopathPod. You can reach ASC on Twitter at Cytopathology or via email at asc at cytopathology.org.